but I guarantee you everybody has experienced the spinning wheel of death. All of these things are because of heat. So it's the first different material in about 100 years. You know, you kind of know the president's about to come because you start seeing all these guys that look like linebackers in suits that start slowly creeping into the room. I would tell them to fail more. I failed a lot to get to where I am. In order to close the seed round, I basically had to go to the co-lead investor's house on a Sunday and go for a one-hour walk with him around his neighborhood. Hello, everyone. Your host, Dan Kihanya here. Thanks so much for listening in. You just heard our guest for this episode, Bara Kola from Carbice. He's bringing us a startup with some real hard science. Stay tuned. Our episode today is sponsored by the Washington Technology Industry Association, or the WTIA. As always, if you're excited about what we're doing, please go and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And please follow us on Twitter at FoundersUnfound or go to our website, foundersunfound.com, and sign up for our updates. And finally, we just recently launched a swag store with The Loyalist. So if you're up for a Founders Unfound t-shirt or coffee mug, just hit the store link on our site. Now, on with the show. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups that you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented backgrounds. This is episode four in our series on founders of African descent. It's August 2019, and I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Bara Kola, founder and CEO of Carbice, a startup that is revolutionizing the new standard for thermal cooling in the global electronics market. Welcome, Bara, and thanks for making the time. Thank you, Dan. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I uh, look forward to having a conversation with you. All right, excellent. So I'm I'm super excited because... You're my first interview with somebody who's actually doing science and innovations and inventions. Um, so let's get started by maybe just talking a little bit about what exactly is Carbice. Well, I'm glad you mentioned science because, you know, for people that know a lot about a science or they know a little bit, people tend to know something about entropy and the basics of thermodynamics. So what I tell people is that everything in the universe that is alive or does work produces heat. And for some things, it could be a good thing. For some things, it's not that important. But for a lot of things, managing that heat is one of the most critical things for proper function of the system. That, that includes the human body. Carbice in particular, in setting the new standard of thermal materials, is a company that's formed to address the overheating problem in electronics. I mean, we clearly live in a digital world today. A uh, world where we have internet and cell phones everywhere on Earth and in space now and in the future. So Carbice is really here to help those people that make these products and make your Slack and your Google possible with the backend servers and chips to really help make those things more efficient and help manage that heat problem. That makes sense. That makes sense. It definitely. Although I have to say, I mean, I think most people would pick up their cell phone and say, I don't feel anything. It's not hot. What is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I mean, if you're an Uber driver, a Lyft driver, you, if you talk to them, most of them are 
plugging their phone in, running their GPS while they're driving you around, and they have a lot of problems with heat. So in that case, it's kind of a limited use case. But in general, the cell phones are designed primarily for heat dissipation. So there's a lot of smart people that spend a lot of time making that happen so that you don't have your hands burned. And the way they do that is with advanced materials. Uh, It could be graphite, an iPhone, or what they call a a heat pipe, which is a a liquid to vapor uh, heat transfer system inside of a Samsung phone. And so all of these systems are making tremendous compromises in terms of price and ability to deliver those products effectively to the market. So, you know, Carvice helps to make that process simpler, more cost effective and speeds the innovation cycle. So, so you know, people may not feel the heat on their phones. They, they may not feel the heat in the servers, but I guarantee you everybody has experienced the spinning wheel of death right. on a Mac computer. Right. They, they've experienced some sort of slowdown in their ability to process on their phone or their gaming and the game freezes. All of these things are because of heat. Because the heat basically, there's a, some sort of a governor or something with chips so that they don't you know, have a Samsung uh, issue where they, well, that was a different issue, but where they don't uh, fail. So they protect themselves and that results in you seeing it as, like you said, the spinning wheel of death or a performance issue. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a hard science problem to solve the heat problem because it's so fundamental and it requires materials. And everybody that's been solving that problem has been using the same set of materials for years. So it was really 15 years ago that companies like Intel started to realize that we can no longer just let the chip operate Uh, in an uncontrolled manner. So they put thermocouples built into the device to make it turn off when it gets too hot. So most chips that you use in your phone and your computer uh, don't operate at full capacity. So there's so much potential and value that can be unlocked by having better thermal management. And that's really where Carbice comes in because we are a science company and we have invented a new material class that is different. So it's the first different material in about 100 years that that can actually improve the heat dissipation capacity by you know, not just incrementally, but by, by an order of magnitude. And so, so that's really where the platform exists because the chips are already more powerful than what we utilize on a daily basis. But the way that the industry has managed that is really just by derating or reducing performance. And, and Carbice comes in and we... We help unlock that potential. Did you say 100 years? Yeah, I mean, synthetic graphite in the 1890s was really the last new thermal material because copper existed before that, aluminum existed before that. They Polymers came along in the early 20th century, but really polymers are made functional by just adding materials like silver, copper, aluminum, or alumina that are known. And everybody does the same thing. I mean, they're really only four basic categories of thermal materials that are out there. They're the metals, they're the the graphite materials, um, there are liquid and polymer materials. And like I said, they're all doing the same thing and they make incremental improvements. But what everyone's been looking for in the, the science community for almost 30 years is kind of a quantum leap in performance that only a new material could enable. I love that you're tackling a problem that's pretty old. My business school professor told me one time that if you want to start a business uh, in high tech, 
just go to the phone book and look for a company that says it's been in business for a hundred years and then go reinvent what they do. <laughs> that's a good one. I like, I like that a lot. If it's been around that long as solving a problem, it's probably there to stay. So, so how long did it take? I mean, I think you've been involved in big research and development. Uh, you're, you're a professor, you've got a PhD. So how long did it take to get this technology to a place where you could commercialize it? Months, years? Years. Um, really, at this point, approaching decades. I mean, for me, I first got my interest in thermal materials back in 1999. And, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it, but it, it seemed pretty cool. And like, it would be important to come up with better thermal materials in the future. I did a lot of things in my background. I mean, when I was an undergrad, I was a football player at college and um, did a lot of different activities, but I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, and what I wanted to do was to build something that would last. And so I, when I went to do a PhD in 2005, I focused on this material what we do at Carbice today is really the second generation or the second wave of, of carbon nanotubes, which is the, the material technology. So I, I, you know, I was working with people who were much further ahead in thought than I was at the time, who had already started companies doing similar things and learned that the market wasn't quite ready for this type of new material. And so, to, I mean, to get to your question about how long it took, I mean, it, it's really taken a community. It's not really just a me or a carbice thing. It's really a community of learning about how to do the proper type of problem finding and go to market with this technology. So I started working in earnest in 2005. And so now it's 14 years later. Um, in that process, I, I became a professor, did a lot of research to solve some of the hard problems, started carbice, uh, we were in a research phase for five years before people knew about us, just operating off of government grants and doing hundreds of thousands of experiments to get our process and our technology where it is today. And so just for the past two years, when we've been in our commercial mode, people see us as new and fresh and we're out there doing things. But I guess the saying goes, every overnight success takes 10 years. That's that's absolutely true for us. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. It's actually pretty refreshing to to talk with somebody who has this vision and perseverance you know if you get into silicon valley you know it's sort of spend three months and if the customer doesn't bite then move on to the next thing and you know it's more about deploying technology than than necessarily uh, reinventing it or inventing it i should say so i mean that's a long journey to get to a point where you're actually able to get the commercialization phase going. Uh, but that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, I mean, how does it feel to invent something that didn't exist before? I mean, it's cool, but I do think in order to stay kind of in this and focus for as long as I've stayed, it's it, the goal has to be bigger than that. It has to be bigger than just inventing something cool. And I think to your point about Silicon Valley, you kind of like you stay in three months, you see if you get customer traction, you move on. A lot of times those things aren't things that are so vital to the progression of humanity. I think people get excited about electric vehicles and renewable energy and these things that are so directly translatable and understand, they can understand, I plug something in, I get power and it came from the sun, but all those technologies are enabled by better thermal management and they use something today, but 
things can be several factors or even order magnitude better in terms of output and lower costs, which means more people can can access it. So, so those are the things that drive me. If you, if you go back and actually look at the intro to my PhD dissertation, which nobody in their right mind would, people, people just, people just, people just don't read those things. I was, you know, when I graduated, I said my advisor, my committee, and my mother might take a look at this. That's it. Um, <laughs> I'll read it. But, but if you go back and look at it, I actually highlight in the intro the continent of Africa and how, at the time of the writing there were more people with cell phones than landlines, right? And if you think about why that's possible, I can make an argument that better thermal management has made that possible. Just like when you think about internet, you think about companies like SpaceX, OneWeb, and now Amazon that want to provide satellite internet from space. There are many places that have no wired internet. They have no no lines, they have no infrastructure. But when you enable a breakthrough in technology like that, which frankly is enabled by materials like carbides, by better thermal management, you expand the access to things to people that could never reach it before. And it's revolutionary. You think about the Arab Spring and how social media drove a lot of that. Um, whether you know whatever you you know your own whatever your politics or whatever you want to happen or see in the world, it's indisputable that providing these technologies to people opens up freedom. And, and that's the big mission. I mean, I think that that's for me, I understood that I had a certain skill set and I understood that I had a certain ability. And if I could apply that within this framework of making people's lives better and providing a world where people could live freer, I, I'm game for that. And, and so, so I dug in and, and, you know, the carbon nanotube became one thing. So I think it's cool. I get, I do like the tech. I'm, I'm a, I'm a nerd in that sense, but I never lose sight of the bigger vision because I think that that's what allows me to work, what how I work. <laughs> that's great. That's exactly um, what I know investors want to see in uh, their entrepreneur portfolio companies. That drive that is how do I find solutions that change the world and what are the problems that need to be changed or, or, or addressed? What are those challenges as opposed to, you know, being in a lab all the time, necessarily how things are done. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool um, that that's the perspectives that you carry into your business. How, what can you tell us? So you've been commercializing for a couple of years now or in the commercial zone. What can you tell us um, if I'm an investor sitting on the other side of the table Where's the company at right now in terms of sales, employees, progress? Anything you want to share on that front? Well, everything's exciting. I mean, for us, we wait a long time. Our markets are long sell cycles. I mean, if you're going to put a new material technology in a car or on a, a spaceship or a satellite, they're going to qualify the heck out of it. They're going to go through all type of reliability uh, tests. And so... We've been in two-year sales cycles since since we raised our seed round, um, and our milestones really were to to exit these qualifications successfully and to build out capacity at the same time to deliver. And we've done that. I mean, we've improved our ability to deliver by thirty x. We just exited a qualification with one of the largest U.S. aerospace primes. Um, we are rolled out into full production in the semiconductor test market with one of the leading LED companies in the world. 
So we've done all these things that we said we were going to do, um, which is very satisfying and empowering to the team. And we know the technology works, man. I think that's the most important thing is that we're not talking about technology and materials anymore. We're talking about solutions and they're, they're proven. Right. And uh, I think, like I said, the patience and perseverance to get to that point is, uh, is more than remarkable. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a few moments with Baracola from Carbice. We are honored to welcome our second support sponsor, the Washington Technology Industry Association. The WTIA offers startups in my home state a bunch of resources from insurance to investor connections. We will continue this episode after a brief word from the WTIA. Washington Technology Industry Association, or WTIA, is a nonprofit that supports tech companies in Washington State, which is home to one of the most innovative tech ecosystems in the world. With enterprise companies like Microsoft and Amazon headquartered here, and engineering offices for Facebook, Google, and others, we have some of the best technical talent in the world. We're also home to many successful startups, including unicorns like Rover, Convoy, and OfferUp. WTIA provides resources and programs for companies of all sizes and stages headquartered in Washington or looking to expand here. For startups, we provide a variety of stage-appropriate resources like health insurance, business insurance, connections to resources like investors or service providers, workshops, and other support to help startups reach their potential. Go to www.washingtontechnology.org to learn more. So before the break, uh, Bara, we were talking about the progress you have as a company and the potential. And I guess let me take a shot at this, but I actually see this as the magnitude of this is unbelievable. I think that we are in a very connected world with chips and um, let's just call it electronic brains that are propagating it every part of our lives, whether it's Internet of Things, whether it's our transportation, communication, uh, entertainment, education, it's everywhere, as you said. And heat is the enemy of performance. And so you're battling that enemy by basically hugging electronics in a way that you take the heat and leave them to thrive. Does that sum up what you're doing? No, it's beautiful. You, you paint a beautiful picture. Um, yeah. It's a lot of love we have. We, big hugs, warm yeah. hugs. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, it knows that heat transfer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you have, uh, what is it, a hypothermia, it's the opposite, right? The person with the heat is the is the provider who's, you know, trying to get the person warmed up. In your case, you're, you're, cooling, you're, cooling, you're cooling those electronics down. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about fundraising. One of the things that we like to explore on the podcast is the experience as an underrepresented founder, what's been fundraising like. You talked about the fact that you had grants, which is an interesting process that uh, we probably could go in another time. But um, in terms of raising money, I like to call it nothing ventured, nothing pain. There's usually some great anecdotes that are fun or, or surprising or uh, positive, and then there's potentially some that are a little more challenging. So anything you want to share about where you are in your fundraising journey and then any stories you want to share about the process? The, I mean, the process, I think, is a challenging process for everybody to raise money. We made a deliberate choice to build our company in Atlanta, Georgia. 
Um, I have a lot of friends in the Silicon Valley and have consulted for companies, startups out there and had investor connections. And I went out there before we raised any outside equity uh, investment or capital just to talk to people, get a sense. But we're going to build in Atlanta. And, and that's a different fundraising dynamic because, you know, outside of Silicon Valley valuations and how people look at round size and things is, is different, um, to say the least. And so so that's kind of one thing. I don't, I don't call it a barrier, but I just call it our choice. Um, and so once we learned about our market, for me, the process of fundraising has really been one where I try to think about where I can go to get people excited about the things that I'm excited about. And I'm fortunate coming from the Georgia Tech ecosystem, you know, Carbice being a, a, a Georgia Tech spin out, you know, we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time focused on people who care a lot about Georgia Tech. And I guess my story is, I mean, I, you know, it, it took me a year of, of talking to, frankly, the same people to get them to really come to understand what Carbice is going after. A lot of the investors don't have an appetite for hard science companies. Um, so you already kind of slice the market, trim it down by that. But what they do understand is that electronics aren't getting any bigger and less powerful. So they know the direction, right? And I spent, I think in order to close the seed round, I basically had to go to uh, the co-lead investor's house and really on a Sunday and go for a one hour walk with him around his neighborhood. Right. And just, um, he's a tall guy. He's a tall guy with long legs too. Uh-oh. So here I am, he's, he's walking, walking fast. Um, and I'm just trying to keep up and I'm just talking, I'm just telling them about, you know, what we're going after, what we're doing. And I think at the end of the day, which you touched on earlier, you know, at this at the seed state, people are really in, investing in people absolutely in, in absolutely, yeah. market potential, and, and I think he under, he understood that the opportunity is tremendous, and that we had a pretty good team, and that we we were going to work hard and not give up until we got the most out of it. And I think that that's ultimately how we were successful there. So on this walk for an hour, did you were you getting cues from him? Was he keeping things close to the vest, or as the walk progressed, did you did you? feel his energy levels or are you you gotta tell me how this walk I, went did, did, did i did i wear him down or something yeah because i mean obviously you, you closed at the end of the hour i mean did you, did you hold him hostage uh no i no, no no trickery there i think we just had an honest conversation uh you know he's a pretty straightforward guy you know i think that ultimately just kind of came down to the terms and kind of where we wanted to price things and I think we we landed in a fair spot, um, but yeah, I mean there was there was no there was no drama or nothing real. I have a lot of good stories I tell, but the fundraising stories really are kind of boring to some degree. Our walks, talking about heat and um, you know what we're doing, and so we're fortunate in that sense. But but I you know I've had a lot of interactions with a lot of investors, and you know the majority of them just like a lot of people, you know they 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 have their their criticisms about. Is it the right market? Is it the right technology? Things like that. I don't think people really have questioned the team. At the end of the day, you know, we, you know, domain expertise and heat, there's no one better than us. I mean, we've been doing it for so long and understand it. But I think getting people to wrap their mind around what a material company is doing, where it's not so straightforward, like a battery material makes the car run longer, right? right? That's kind of easy to say. Uh, Well, a better thermal material, what does it do? Well, 
we had to kind of evolve that value proposition and understand that what we do is we make the solution integration simple, right? And so, you know, that's not completely relatable without having long conversations with people. But once they get it, they get it. Because like you were saying, I mean, you can see the scope of the internet of things and all these other connectivity things coming in line and it's big. Yeah. Tremendous. Um, and, uh, you know, this is the, this is the battle you face as a, as every entrepreneur does is you're trying to change the world. You're trying to do things that's never been done before. And sometimes people get it. Some people, sometimes they don't, sometimes they believe it. Sometimes they don't. And, uh, if, if the naysayers, governed everything you know we'd still be swinging clubs and hunting and gathering and so forth so, uh, <laughs> that's so, right I'm not, I'm not sure we, we would have made yeah, it that far exactly <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> what, what are you doing picking up that big yeah. stick you, you're, yeah. <laughs> good point good point um, so tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, um, I listened to your story collider. Um, so I know a little bit about your football. I had a, I'm a, I'm a, I was a kind of a similar trajectory. I went, when I went to college, I, you know, I did pretty well in high school in football and thought, okay, you know, I'll just walk on the team and I'm pretty good. And, and, uh, got my share of humbling when I, uh, when I played, but, um, tell us about wh- where you're from and, um, your full name is Baratunde, is that right? Uh, Baratundi, yes. Which Baratundi? Sorry, yeah. It, it means it, it means kingly, and I, and I tell people all the time, my, my parents had high expectations for me. There, there so you go. There. I, I grew up in that shadow. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm. I'm uh, my my dad is from Kenya, and so uh, my middle name is sort of I'm the first son of the first son of the first son. So it's like. All right, whatever you're doing, you got to be doing 100, percent and you're you're being watched. That's right. So, that's right. Um, wait, where did where are you from originally? So I, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. Um, was born in Detroit, but but from the first grade up, um, my mother's hometown is Pensacola. Uh, Pensacola is an interesting place. You know, my family goes way back there. It's it's kind of it's Florida, but it's really Lower Alabama. Right. The people who know it, they, they know what I'm talking about. That's where my family's from. It's a big military town, big sports town. So I started playing football when I was eight um, and played all types of sports, baseball, football, basketball, track, weightlifting. But I always did things that were inventive, too. And I've always been interested in technology. And and I had this interesting upbringing because my father's from the Bronx, never left the city until he was 30 and then he decided he was going to leave the city and, and move to Pensacola, which is where he met my mother. That is a interesting <laughs> uh, experience because my I'm from Boston originally, so uh, you know I my impression of New York. I've spent a lot of time in New York. Is the people who love it they stay and they never want to leave, and the people who don't like it they leave and they never want to go back. So it sounds like your dad's kind of a, a in the middle there. Pensacola is a bit different, I'm sure, than the Bronx. It's different, but I think he was ready. I mean, he he uh, he's an engineer, but he went he went to school late, graduated, I think, when he was 30, um, and had. I tell people he had a second life before that. I mean, he kind of grew up being a, a street entrepreneur, doing whatever you know, whether it was selling underwear in the housing projects or whatever he could do. And I think he just kind of after he got went to school and just wanted to do something different left but 
that Bronx was in my house my whole life. Sure. Because it never leaves someone. So I, I grew up with a grandfather that was very country and took me hunting and everybody in the town knew him. He was very popular. He was in all the, you know, the church we went to, he literally was one of the people who built the church. Um, and then I got this street dad from New York. And so I, I kind of, it helped me kind of get a good sense of the world, I think, in my upbringing, because I had all these interesting characters around me at all times. Uh, I, I, I often, one of the stories I told at Vanderbilt to kind of explain to people, because when I went to Vanderbilt and I said I was from Florida, they all thought I was from Miami. <laughs> and I had to explain to them that I'm that I'm from the Panhandle. And the way I explained it was that I had this neighbor, very fond of him. His name was Chris, who was dishonorably discharged from the military oh my. for like striking his, his superior with a brick. And he had wow. had so many, he has had so many DUIs that his license was think banned for life. So what he did is he had this riding lawnmower and he would ride this lawnmower all over the place. And we'd wake up on a Saturday morning and Chris would be cutting our grass, what have you. And I'd see him at the Taco Bell down the street in the drive-thru <laughs> in the riding lawnmower. Um, <laughs> So, so what's it? That's not Miami. That's, uh, what's, what's that movie? Forrest Gump, where he's, uh, he's driving the lawnmower in Greenbow, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. That's right. That's right. That's right. Right. So, so Chris, 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 Chris is a you know a white guy with red curly hair and freckles. And the one of the classic pictures is that you know I lived in this neighborhood that was kind of a lower middle class neighborhood that had trailer parks here had some projects here and the the liquor store was on the other side of the projects and i just remember one time my cousins were visiting in the summer and, and he had this little trailer he had just got at the back of his lawnmower and he took us for a ride right through one of the seedy areas of the of this part of the neighborhood and you had this guy with these these little black kids on the back and everybody was sitting on the corner doing the things they do that on the corner and they just froze and started looking at us <laughs> like, what is going on here? Here's a guy riding a lawnmower with these kids on the back coming through. And he, he, and you know, Dan, we didn't know the destination. The destination was the liquor store. <laughs> oh boy. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I, I got, uh, I, I, I got my point. That could not happen today. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely can't happen today. Uh, but I got my point across at Vanderbilt that, that I'm not from Miami. Uh, that story definitely <laughs> clarifies things for sure. Um, uh, so you went to Vanderbilt, and I know you 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 persevered through injuries, and you played football. And uh, um, was it there that you sort of uh, either reinforced or discovered your love for research and technology, or had you had it in you when you got there? I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, I was planning on going to play NFL football. I mean, I was, I was a pretty good football player and I had a lot of uh, confidence in my ability and the injuries kind of derailed my life to a large degree. And so I never really had a strong passion to do research. I just kind of did it to fill the time at first, but I've always wanted to make a difference. You know, I think the, the big, the big idea type of thing, the mission, how I'm going to change the world and when I saw that opportunity in research, that's really what fueled the passion for doing it. it was really more of a learning experience. Like, how, how am I going to go and do something? So I, I wanted to start a business even when I was an undergrad in college. And I had a few, I had a landscaping business. Um, when I finished uh, football and grad school, I worked in real estate investment for a bit, I worked in politics for a bit. But what I started to realize then was that 
people like me coming from my background, you know, however you want to take that, uh, it's very difficult to have a competitive business unless you have some way to differentiate your skill set so that you can attract capital. Um, and so that was a strategy for me. Grad, grad school was a strategy. Um, I said, what I am good at is is science and math and being inventive. So let me go and develop a skill because I'm not going to be the best real estate investor because I just don't have access. And I did that. So I went to, to Purdue for a PhD and I decided I'm going to be the best nanotechnology expert in the world. And, you know, I, I couldn't predict where that would take me. But in 2017, I was at the White House getting a million dollars as the top scientist and engineer in the country under the age of 35. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you got to meet President Obama, I think I read. Yeah, I, so I, I got to meet President, I went twice actually to DC. So once I got to meet President Obama, and the other time I got a letter from Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That sounds so tantalizing to unpack. But let's, let's, uh, I want to, I want to hear more about Obama. Um, you know, because, okay, okay. you know, I've, I've been a fan of his for a long time. And, and, you know, in 2004, when he did the, you know, the Democratic National Convention, we were at, uh, I was with my family, my mom and uh, my brothers, and we're watching this when we're on vacation. And he's up there speaking and talking about his background. And my mom's screaming at me, you got to come see this guy. You got to come see him. He's you. <laughs> you know, because his, his dad came from, came from Kenya about four years or so before my dad. So he's a little, he's a little older than me, but, um, but you know, I miss him. I miss him. So what was it? Is he as charismatic and, and personable as he seems in person? Oh, he's cool. I mean, I mean, we, we waited for him for about an hour in the, uh, the white house and, you know, you kind of know the president's about to come because you start seeing all these guys that look like linebackers in suits that start slowly <laughs> creeping into the room. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, 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 you know, and then, and then, and then here he comes. He just, you know, has that cool walk down the red carpet, and he's cool. I mean, he's the, everything that people say he is. He he was, and it was nice to. He took time to shake everybody's hand individually, and and not all the presidents do that. So it was it was really nice. That's awesome. That's a great memory, and and I'm sure your parents have been proud of you, and maybe they never questioned anything you did, but I'm sure that that put put a lot in the bank for you with your parents. <laughs> You're like, hey, whatever I'm doing, maybe it doesn't seem like it's working, but I just, I just met the president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have, I mean, I love my parents. They, they've been very supportive. Um, I think that they, I've, I've made sure to bring them along with as much of that as possible. Um, and you know, they're very proud, and, and um, you know, it's been good. I think you know, my, my dad is a very, very smart guy, um, and I think that, you know, what he opened my eyes to in the world is that. There are a lot of people in society that aren't in positions that we we hold up to be smart or be you know famous and all these other things that have these skills. There are a lot of people who are just hanging out in the streets or maybe even in the prisons that have skills that, and it's not a unique thing to have skills or to be smart. That you have to figure out how to apply that and how to navigate the world to use it most effectively. And I learned these lessons from from him and learn lessons of never giving up from my mother. And so whenever I have these moments, right, that's what I think about. I mean, it's really them that, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff just to kind of make them proud of, of, of me being able to do things that, that I knew would, that they might've wanted to do in their lives, but they lived, they lived in a different time.
that's a strong, strong, compelling uh, sentiment, and I can identify with that. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few moments with Baracola from Carbice. We are honored to welcome our second support sponsor, the Washington Technology Industry Association. The WTIA offers startups in my home state a bunch of resources from insurance to investor connections. We will continue this episode after a brief word from the WTIA. Washington Technology Industry Association, or WTIA, is a nonprofit that supports tech companies in Washington State, which is home to one of the most innovative tech ecosystems in the world. With enterprise companies like Microsoft and Amazon headquartered here, and engineering offices for Facebook, Google, and others, we have some of the best technical talent in the world. We're also home to many successful startups, including unicorns like Rover, Convoy, and OfferUp. WTIA provides resources and programs for companies of all sizes and stages headquartered in Washington or looking to expand here. For startups, we provide a variety of stage-appropriate resources like health insurance, business insurance, connections to resources like investors or service providers, workshops, and other support to help startups reach their potential. Go to www.washingtontechnology.org to learn more. So we're back with Bara Kola from Carbice. So Bara, the big thing with startups is, you know, it's a marathon at sprint pace. And so some people can only hang for 5K or 10K or half marathon. And others say, I'm going to keep going. I'm tired. I'm cramping. I'm uh, feeling like I'm moving in slow motion, but I'm going to keep going. And you certainly seem to have that uh, that muscle. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, Dan, for me, it's the point you're making. I find that the most important skill set is to really understand people in the world and how people interact with it. And it's that diverse experience of life that brings that. Um, when I played football in college, I was considered relatively quiet among the personalities of guys that ultimately you know, go and play in the NFL. And when I went to Purdue and get a PhD. I'm finding it hard to believe. No, no, it's, it's true. I mean, and, and, and when I went to get a PhD, people, I end up becoming the center of attention, right? So it's just like, it's a different group of people. Yeah. Right. You got a lot of boisterous, you know, just big personalities in a football locker room. And, you know, for me, it's just different. Like you learn how to survive and be in different places and relate with people with different places. Everywhere I've been, I relate with people, but I know that they're different groups of people. And I think that's an important skill set. And I think that's, you know, the driving force behind all of this for me is what am I doing for people, right? It's not, I'm not going to get too caught up in the technology because technology's changed, but I'm going to take advantage of whatever opportunities are there to change people's lives for the better. And that's just not just in the market or Carbice's customers or the customers of their customers, but it's the people within Carbice. It's part of it is you, you know, I feel like if you're going to build a business to last and grow, you have to build internally too. And you got to be able to bring personalities together and think about the engineering problem at a system level of the people and the technology. And, and I enjoy that. I mean, I think that that's, to me, a very powerful motivator of, of doing what I do. Uh, one question I've had on my mind when I was looking through your background, if, uh, if you were entering the, the, the fictional Hall of Fame for legendary contributors to society, 
Are you going in as a Commodore, a Boilermaker, or a Yellow Jacket? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> wow, that is that is a good question. <laughs> I, I, I try to make it easy, Dan, by going to a school that had some sort of yellow or gold in the color. So how about I just go in as that color? There you go. <laughs> Very diplomatic. I like that. I like that. Very good. Um, excellent. So tell me, uh, you know, you've 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 had an interesting journey, and so far you've been pretty successful. Um, but everybody has things they can look back on. Um, and say, hmm, maybe I should look at that a little different. Is there anything, like if you were going to go back and talk to your 22-year-old self, let's say, preparing that 22-year-old self for the job you do today and the, and the pursuits you have today, what would you tell that person? I would tell them to fail more. I failed a lot to get to where I am. Um, I've taken exponentially more risk as I get older um, to learn faster. And I think my younger self maybe was a little more structured and less risk-taking. That's about it. Because I think that at the end of the day, um, I, I embrace mistakes and I, I try to move through them. I've, I've had 11 surgeries, uh, both knees, both shoulders, and my finger from, from sports. And I've spent a large, I've spent at least a decade doing rehab. So adversity is not something that I'm going to let stop me and I know how to deal with and through that process, I've just learned so much that I can't ever have regrets about the mistakes and things that maybe I rushed or did. So it's just, I, I think that's the thing. I think that I, I, if anything, you don't have enough time in life to learn all the things that you would want to learn, um, but you want to learn all the things you need to learn to do the things you want to do. And the more you take chances, the faster you're going to get there. Spoken like a true entrepreneur. Have you had any um, particular mentors or experiences, groups, organizations that have been particularly impactful, inspirational for you as a black academic, black professional, black entrepreneur? I, I'm very, I'm a very focused and loyal person. Um, I tell people I only applied to three colleges out of high school, and I know that's ridiculous for a lot of people. I only applied to Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, and Michigan. And they all had yellow in their colors. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> did your did your high school team have, have yellow? No, they didn't. It was it was blue, powder blue and red. I didn't like the ah, colors. So, but uh, yellow's always been my favorite color. <laughs> so the thing is, you know, I I, I kind of know what I want out of life to some degree, and 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 I and I say that you know to your question, my undergrad, my freshman year advisor at Vanderbilt's guy named Tim Fisher, uh, he left. And then went to Purdue and I just followed him to get a PhD. I only applied to one school for a PhD. Wow. Because I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go work with this guy. He's going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of him and we're going to make something big happen. Um, so so I, I'm very, you know, he's been a fantastic mentor who's known me since I, I was 17. He's an advisor to Carvice. Um, you know, my my parents, my father, my, my mother have been excellent mentors to me. And, and I lean on my father for help sometimes with things that we do at Carvice. I, I, I think that I, there's so many mentors that don't even know their mentors to me. So many micro interactions that I leverage to better myself um, that I can't even, I can't, I can't list them all, but I think that, you know, those people that I've listed are the ones that I took to Washington DC with me when I won these big awards. Right. They're people that have been with me for years and years. Um, 
And, you know, on the business side, I'm, I'm fortunate Georgia Tech has an ecosystem of people, catalysts and mentors around us that are here to, you know, have a coffee with you and, and, and chat. And I take advantage of all that. And you, you've, have you been a part of the Tech Square Labs ecosystem as well? Yeah. I mean, so, so our, our co-investor, lead investors for the seed round are the uh, Tech Square Labs, uh, Paul Judge and Alan Nance uh, are the principals there. And then the Georgia, uh, the, the GRE Ventures, which is the Georgia Research Lion Venture Fund, as all the big corporations in Georgia is the LP. And so we're heavily involved in that ecosystem. We're a member of uh, ATDC, um, which is Georgia Tech's incubator. It's the oldest university technology incubator in the country. Um, there's a lot of mentorship that comes out of that as well. And we, you know, the company itself graduated through an, a program that had three levels to it that we started back in 2012. It's called the Georgia Ventures or the GRE Ventures. And it's a kind of a, a, a grant making program, but it's also a mentorship program. And so, so we have everywhere. I'm a community builder. I can believe that. The city of Atlanta, Invest Atlanta, um, a guy I played football with worked at, at Invest Atlanta. He helped the previous mayor get elected. You know, we build relationships there um, by exposing them to what Georgia Tech is doing for the first time in materials and they're partners. They help us because of that. And that, that's really ultimately my goal is to utilize all of these these um, these catalysts that are around us and try to be a, a benefit to them as well. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, this has been a tremendously enjoyable conversation, Vara. Is there anything um, you can uh, tell us about how to reach you or how to find out more information about uh, Carbice? Sure. You can, you can go to our website, carbice.com or carbicemagic.com. You know, feel free to reach out to me personally, vara.cola at carbice.com. We're on a mission. I mean, we're, we're here to, to not only change the world from a digital or technological standpoint, but we have a tagline that says achieve more with Carbice or achieve more with confidence. And that applies to individuals. And, and that's kind of the human push of this company is that we want people to be empowered and be confident to be able to do more in their lives. Great stuff. Thanks so much, Bara. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We'd like to thank our guest, Bara Cola, and our sponsor, the WTIA. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Founders Unfound. This podcast was produced by me, Dan Kihanya. Our music was composed by Bruce Zimmerman, Neil Cross, Keith Anthony Holden, Justin Wright, Neil Golden, Ken Hall, El Pagario, and Charlie Smith. I'm Dan Quijana, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound. Founders Unfound.